Welcome into another edition of West of Everest. Lee Benson alongside Grant Benson. A day after Christmas, once again, we are apart. Grant and I spent the holidays uh, here in Oklahoma City. And uh, you, th- you think, you know, why didn't you guys record a podcast in person? Well, it just didn't work out that way. And honestly, we're just so used to doing it remotely like this that Grant got back to Minnesota. I got back to my place here in Oklahoma City. And now we're ready to roll here a couple of days. Ah, Four days before, three days before, OU takes on Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl. Grant, uh, you got up early this morning, flew out to Minneapolis, and arrived safely and back to your place. Everything all right with you? Everything, yeah. Every, everything's pretty good. The uh, the snow, we, got, we got quite a bit of snow here in Minneapolis while I was gone, but the uh, the shovel situation was not as bad as I was anticipating. So got that out of the way this morning, and now I'm just kind of ready to roll. It's good that we're doing this on a Monday. It's kind of like it's sort of our normal routine for pregame podcasts. We're going to have as much time in between those, you, you know, for the most part. Yeah, so the next game, obviously, is this Thursday, the 29th in Orlando. Cheez-It Bowl, OU and Florida State. Last I checked, OU now a nine-and-a-half-point underdog to the Seminoles. And, uh, you know, in case some of you haven't listened in a while, I, I'm no longer on the OU football beat. And so I, I got to give it up to some of my former colleagues who are out and about today trying to make it to Orlando. It sounds like a hellish nightmare traveling around the holidays. Fortunately for you, you, you know, flying out of Oklahoma City to Minneapolis was not a problem at all today. Uh, but it would appear that traveling from Oklahoma City or just Oklahoma in general to really anywhere else seems like it's going poorly. So uh, I will pray for all my former colleagues that they arrive in Orlando in a timely fashion. Uh, But you and I, Grant, we're not going to be at the game. We're going to be here watching it, commenting on it like we always do. Or, well, like we have in the last couple of months, more precisely. And we'll talk about the game later in the show. But, you know, before we were on here, we were talking and trying to figure out what are we going to talk about? Because a lot's happened since our last show. It's been you know, two, three weeks or so since we last did an episode, and obviously National Signing Day has gone by, and so I like to ask you, and I like to think, okay, if I'm an OU fan, what's the most interesting thing happening right now? And so I pose that question to you, and I think you and I kind of came to an agreement that the most interesting thing going on right now is Oklahoma securing a top five recruiting class in what Brent Venables is his first full cycle of recruiting at OU, but I guess technically his second recruiting class. Is that fair to say, Grant? Yeah, it's fair to say. And so, yeah, I'm uh, kind of in the last couple of weeks thinking about what we would talk about here, and it's it's obvious. I mean, it's a very obvious what the A topic is right now. And, you know, we've been kind of famous or maybe infamous, if, if you look at it that way, for for just saying, ah, we don't we don't really do recruiting. It's not this, this type of podcast. Uh, but if you paid attention at all to what happened last week, it's not something that you can really – that you can really ignore at this point in time. And so this past week, hey, I got to, I've, you know, for the last six seasons, I've come on here and I've said, hey, you know, I, I don't really live and die by recruiting. I don't really let, you know, you know, 17 and 18 year old kids kind of, you know, determine, you know, my mood or, or like what I'm following, stuff like that. But, you know, to the recruitniks, to the, re- you know, the recruiting rubes, those guys, I got to hand it to you. Last week was pure entertainment. It absolutely was electric following all of that stuff. Completely, and of course, I'm 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 referencing the Peyton Bowen saga, which is obviously which, and you know, from my you know memory, anyone listening, you know, can can maybe can pipe in and correct me if I'm wrong. But really, the first time kind of a wacky, weird recruiting story like this has gone in OU's favor, and uh, that I can remember 
um, since I've been following since uh, since the 2000 season. So um, that's fun. We're definitely we're definitely going to hop into that. But I, I, I got to give it up to the recruiting guys. You know, it's that that whole thing was pure entertainment. And so I, I you know, with the Peyton Bowen stuff, I get it completely it was absolutely electric following that over the you know the 36 out the 24 36 hours where that entire thing was just frankly it was drunk the entire thing was completely wasted (laughs) yeah and you're right i mean we've said over and over and over again throughout the history of this podcast which began right before the 2017 season that's how long we've been doing this show that the most interesting thing to us you and i about oklahoma football is the team, the season. Uh, the recruiting we know is important, but we're not experts in that. And even though you know, I, I worked for years and years and years in the news media and the sports you know, local news, and, and I, I followed it a little bit for my job, I was never as dialed in as obviously those around that they, you know, they make their money following recruiting. And so we made sure to say, listen, we're not, this is not going to be a podcast for that. We're going to talk about the team. That's where we feel like we have a lot more expertise. I bring that up. Because up until this season, really, uh, there's been a lot to talk about on the field during the season for OU football because they've been incredibly good. They've been competing for Big 12 titles and playoff titles uh, or playoff appearances, to be more precise. But this year at six and six, uh, you've heard us all. We've complained about it. We've all complained about it. We've all uh, you know, criticized and whatnot and, and tried to figure out what the heck's going on. The, the fact that the team was not very good in the regular season and the signing period obviously is now in December. It's been that way now for about four or five years, if, I, if memory serves. The big thing is, okay, like what's the future going to look like for Oklahoma? Can they continue to keep this really good recruiting class that Brent Venables and his staff had put together throughout the year? And sure enough, Oklahoma does keep this recruiting class and adds to it with a Peyton Bowen. And Grant, you look at it, number five in the composite rankings, I believe the highest uh, composite ranking recruiting class under Lincoln Riley, I believe was sixth. It was either fourth or sixth. It was the year, uh, yeah, it was It was the year they had the, they had Weiss, the Hazelwood, year. and Bridges, and Rattler. And I'll, and, and I'll go back and double check here, here in a moment when I get done, but uh, it's it's a super high recruiting class. By the way, it's, it's a higher recruiting class than USC, Not, but heck, USC's got scoreboard right now because Lincoln Riley and the Trojans had a much better season in 2022 than Oklahoma. Uh, you and I were we're wrong about that and you know, happy to admit it. But you look at this recruiting class and the top of it, Oklahoma gets exactly what they hoped. You know, Jackson Arnold's been signed on or he's been committed for a while and now he's got his name written on the dotted line. That's the big one. Uh, you know, Oklahoma what loses what Malachi Nelson is that the guy's name that's going to USC that was uh, committed to OU under Riley. Yep. That correct. Yeah. So they lose Nelson and they think, oh no. Okay, boom. Jeff Lebby and Britt Venables comes in and picks up Jackson Arnold. He picked up his, you know, his fifth star months ago. Uh, I've seen some of his tape. He looks really good, really, really nice player. You got that elite on paper quarterback. And then you got two other five stars, Grant, and they're both defensive players. One guy's a safety and one guy's an edge rusher who's been committed for a while, uh, which uh, PJ Adabore, Adabore, I, I, I think that's kind of uh, got PJ. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then Peyton Bowen's kind of, to me, you know, at, I don't follow this stuff very closely. Peyton Bowen, to me, was the surprise one, especially after all that saga. So, it's an exciting recruiting class. That's very interesting. We it know is. now, Grant, we, we know that Brent Venables, he can recruit. And we expected him and his staff to be able to recruit when he was hired as Oklahoma's head coach. And we now have two pieces of evidence. He got in here last year, 
in short order. He kept that class together, was able to get a top 10 class in a month, a month or two. He comes in his first full cycle, gets a top five class. So he can recruit. The question is, though, can he coach? And we don't have any evidence of that so far. <laughs> That's So we, they're, they're both very important parts of being a head coach in college football. We know he can do one of the things very well. The coaching part, though, the jury is still very much out. And I think that's, you know, we're not going to solve any of this today. But I think that's the most important thing going on right now. Or most interesting thing going on right now. But pardon me. Yeah, absolutely. And really, I mean, it's the, the funny thing is, or maybe the ironic thing is that it was a pretty, outside of, you know, the, the, the crazy Peyton Bowen saga, you know, this, this past week, or the last week, I suppose, it was a pretty is a pretty sleepy signing day for OU. Everyone who was expected to sign signed. They picked up one guy, you know, on signing day, Marcus Strong, uh, kind of an overlooked defensive tackle from Florida, who I don't really expect much out of. Um, but other than that, I mean, it would have it's and so what made everything crazily. Did you have and so you're saying did you not really have a whole lot of background on on Peyton Bowen before everything started to go haywire last week? No, no, I didn't know anything about it really. So, okay, well, let's, I mean, let's, I, the best way to describe it, Lee, is, is that Peyton Bowen's recruit, you know, recruitment is probably, you know, I'm not going to say it's the most followed and most covered, um, recruitment in the country right now, but it's definitely up there for sure. Um, and mostly, you know, a lot of OU fans are really interested. Texas A&M was involved for a really long time. Of course, he's a longtime Notre Dame commit. Um, but everything just kind of started to go crazy at, at, at the last minute. And going into Wednesday last week, it was kind of the, the consensus amongst all of the recruiting, uh, you know, beatniks and stuff like that over, you know, in, in the country. And that, this is not just on the OU side, that this guy was signing with OU, that it was just kind of a foregone conclusion. He wants to go to OU. He's going to flip from Notre Dame to go to OU. And then, of course, on the day, if you haven't heard the story, he, he, he he announced at some sort of like Tex-Mex restaurant or something in in, in Denton. I, I don't know what was going on, and it was weird because it, it it they only there was only a only a Notre Dame hat and only an Oregon hat on the table, and so everyone kind of instantly started going like, what you know what the heck's going on here? This was everyone knew that this guy was kind of all OU for a while, and now a hat's not even on the table. So everyone was thinking to themselves, man, maybe it's underneath the, this helmet, or maybe he's got it taped like underneath the the, the table or something like that. And then nah, he just he he announces for Oregon. Everyone goes crazy because everyone was kind of blindsided by it. And so it was just kind of an interesting thing because we have in in one corner OU even without Peyton Bowen had just secured in all likelihood a top 10 class, you know, probably would have been kind of in the 9 or 10 range, but still not something that you can be like, "Oh god, this is a disaster," even though it sort of felt like one, um, you know, when he when when the Peyton Bowen thing didn't go their way. And so Man, it was there was like this twenty four hour period, Lee, where the fan base, or at least the very online fan base, the fan base that really, really kind of covers recruiting, was in a pretty dour mood. I wouldn't even say upset or mad. Upset's the right word. Mad is not the right word. Kind of sad and depressed is probably the right word. Um, and that's the that's the feeling I got from from reading message boards. That's the feeling I got from perusing Twitter a lot of the time. That night, we spent some time with our friend Brady Trantham. He wasn't feeling great about it, um, and you know, I, I wasn't either. And and just just you know, I I I had looked at it more as a ah gosh, man, we had heard you know for months and months and months this guy was all OU, and then at the last second, OU couldn't close the deal. That's how I looked at it, and I was like, 
hey, I'm still happy for this top 10 class, but also WTF, you got to close this stuff. You have to if, 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 you know, if we want to take the steps that we can. And so and for that 24 hours. Let me jump hours, in real quick. Let me jump in real quick because wasn't there even more? Wasn't there another player that OU was expected to get that ended up going to Texas? Ah, uh, yeah, to Celia Kana. So yeah, you're right. That is, so, so, um, I mean, in, that is important. You, you throw in the David Hicks stuff. Who I mean I know that he had committed to A and M before, but it seemed like more you know like maybe he'll come back to OU, but he wasn't going to announce until Friday. But it didn't. I mean the the Bowen news like oh well Hicks is probably not going to. So it was all of the it was a, a few things right of like man felt like a wave. What? It felt like yeah. It, and and so the reason why all these things were interconnected is because these three guys David Hicks, Cecilia Kana, and Peyton Bowen they were all guys that leading up to their initial announcements the consensus nationally was that they're about to pick OU. And then there was a point where Peyton Bowen, where Peyton Bowen committed to Oregon and Tasila Akana committed to Texas, where it was like, oh crap, oh you just went 0 for 3 on all of those guys. So what the heck is going on here? Um, and then it's funny how everything just kind of flips and turns. You get the word late late on Wednesday night that Oregon still hadn't received Peyton Bowen's national letter of intent. And, you know, until that thing has been faxed into the school and they announce it, it's still an open recruitment. And so it was funny kind of following the message boards, Lee, because about, I want to say, maybe six or seven hours after Peyton Bowen announced for Oregon, somebody posted in there. It's like, hey, I, you know, Oregon still hasn't announced this thing. Is there still kind of an, an opening here? And then it was just interesting kind of seeing all the interactions of like, no, nah, I mean, don't do this to yourself. Do not build this up in your head again. This is hurting too much. And then after midnight on Wednesday night, it comes, it starts, some other rivals reporters start reporting again, this thing's not over, and it's even again. It's not, he's not, like, he has not committed to Oregon, he did publicly, but he hasn't sent in his national letter of intent, and all of the teams are still going after him, still doing it. Um, and then it wasn't until uh, Thursday morning again, Lee, where I signed in, probably about 8 or 9 a.m., where there, there had been other, some other stuff reported from rivals guys, where it started to look again like, ah, oh, well, it's starting to look really good for OU again. And then so everyone is just kind of like, what on earth is going on here? Um, and so just sort of the whiplash and the back and forth and the the highs and the lows, it was just, it was incredibly entertaining to follow once, once that window opened or once that door opened and it looked like, oh, hey, maybe this thing isn't open, isn't over and we're not actually crazy for maybe having a little bit of hope that this whole thing that happened on Wednesday was a fluke. It started to get really fun from there. Really, really fun. And I just, I was totally locked in, completely. It was, it was just as entertaining as watching your favorite TV show and not knowing at all where it's going, but you loving every second of it. It was fun. Yeah. And, period. And then it gets, it gets announced that Bowen does commit to OU and, and he puts out that statement that he put out. And uh, it's such a bizarre thing because, I mean, uh, one second he's a Notre Dame commit, then he's, he's picking Oregon and Oregon's got him. And then all of a sudden he's got OU. It's like, all right, man, like you're a kid, you're a teenager, make up your mind. So I read his statement and I thought his statement was good. He apologized. Great. Fine. Like that. Good. Uh, uh, nothing wrong with that. Admitting that you were, made a mistake. Everyone makes mistakes. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of rare these days for people to actually admit to making mistakes. You know, we do it all the time here when we make uh, wrong predictions, right? Because, I mean, at least I do. Because, boy, oh, boy, it's been one of those seasons. So it's, it's exciting because, obviously, he's a five-star. He's a def- defensive back. He's uh, – no, no. I was going to take a shot there, but I'm not going to. And he's the number uh, one safety in the country. It's a, it's a defensive – it's a position of need 
at a position that OU really hasn't had a massive difference maker at in, in over a decade. It's a huge deal. And it's, it's, it's arguably the second most position on a college defense. And so the next question is, uh, are, are you prepared for the, the Peyton Bowen being a bust? Because... Uh, Oh yeah, we've talked about that already. I mean, that was the. <laughs> I mean, it was. I, I'm sorry. It, it's just. I mean, okay. Put it this way: Brendan Radley Hiles. He was a five. He wasn't a consensus five star, right? He was like a five star, maybe in like one. Just rivals. One, uh, I think he's a rivals ri- five yeah. star. And, and you know, he he was he wasn't he was definitely undersized. But you're like, ah, oh, maybe he can figure it out. Like Peyton Bowen doesn't look undersized. Like he looks like he's got the body type as a safe thing. Okay, yeah, I, I can see like he. He's probably closer to a five star, at least physically, than than Buki was. So that gives me a little bit of promise. And obviously now we have a new coaching staff. But a year under the belts now of that new coaching staff. And yeah, it's not their players for the most part. So we'll give them a little bit of grace there. But we've gone on here many, many times over the last six, well, four months and said, yeah, I know that everything's new. This rosters, whatever. But that's not a six and six roster. It shouldn't have been. The defense should have been better. Uh, there might be some excuses for the defense not playing as well as it could have. Uh, there was some moments the defense played well, but then all of a sudden it all came crashing back down to earth against Texas Tech in the last game of the year. So I say all of that to be like, all right, Brent Venables is supposed to be this guy who has this great coaching background, which he does, and he's supposed to be a guy who can come in here and turn players around that previously Oklahoma could not get, could not get out of defensive guys. Well, through one year – of not necessarily his players, we didn't really see much of that. We didn't really see much of anybody taking a jump, at least from my perspective. And so the, the hope is now, it's just hopes and prayers, that with the new recruiting class and every and all these new guys, these are the, the class that now can start learning from Brent Venables and Brandon Hall and Jay Valai and so on and so forth. And then we'll start to see a change. And that's what we're not going to know for another at least uh, nine months or so, Grant. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe even shorter than that. I don't know. You know, but for for this moment, for this period of time, right? I mean, it's it's all we got, and we we know it's it's a top five recruiting class, and um, you stack a bunch of those and that's up. Good. You're, that's you good know, news. It is good news. You stack a bunch of those up. More often than not, you're gonna have a really good team. You know, uh, Texas, Texas A and M, notwithstanding, stuff like that. So, um, well, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm serious. Confirm, right? you, th- you, this you, is you, like hold on, just using the composite rankings on two four seven. This number five, that is, a, a, that is a higher recruiting class than Lincoln Riley ever got at OU. Previously in 2019, the composite rank of that class was number six. And I, I will say this. I've, I've seen enough now over the last basically 13 months now since, since Brent Venables and his staff has been here. This, is a be- this staff is, is a lot better at recruiting than Lincoln Riley and his staff. I'm, I'm very comfortable in saying that. Um, where, I'm, where I'm shocked, where, where I'm totally shocked is that Lincoln Riley and his staff at this point in time look to be much better game managers, much better at, at winning college football games than Venables and his staff, which, yeah, which, I, which is shocked. weird because Lincoln Riley wasn't that good at managing games either. So I'm just kind of, this is where, this is where me as a guy who's done, has done this for six seasons. Now, I just kind of throw my hands up and just be like, whatever, enjoy the ride. I guess I'm going to see how, <laughs> how it works out, how it goes. All right, so we haven't really talked specifically about many of the players. I don't know if we really can or should because I'll be honest, I don't know much about, aside from Jackson Arnold, I don't really know because that's just not my thing. I mean, I've watched, I, I like what I've seen from Jackson Arnold. I like his tape. 
Uh, he's he's mobile. Uh, he's listed at six one. I think he looks bigger than six one when I watch his tape. Like he looks like a bigger quarterback than six one. But maybe I'm just kind of like hoping that he's bigger than that. But uh, he's definitely bigger than like a Dylan Gabriel. He's bigger than a Kyler Murray. I think he's a little bit bigger than a Baker Mayfield. Uh, and I it, go back and listen to this podcast when it first started in the Baker Mayfield days and the Kyler Murray days, and you're going to hear a lot of stuff from me saying, eh, I don't know if size, height matters all that much with quarterback play. I've definitely changed my mind on that over the last couple of years. I think it actually plays a big part. It's uh, not and, like and a – it doesn't have to be a death knell, but it helps for sure if you're taller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, – I. It, I think it helps a lot more than maybe I gave it credit for years ago. And, and I think you know, I was watching a lot of Baker Mayfield. I was watching a lot of Kyler Murray. But I, I, I think, I mean, I think that's a big reason why Kyler Murray hasn't really taken off and turned into like really an elite player in the NFL. He's a nice player, but I, I think his size hurts him. Mayfield's, I think it'd be a little bit better for him if he's a little bit taller. He's also just regressed big time and his physical skills aren't as good. Uh, so anyways, I... I like that Jackson Arnold's a little bit bigger than what we've seen from quarterbacks here. I mean, he's probably about the same size as like a Caleb Williams. I think Caleb Williams is listed at six one or so. So, and I mean, Caleb Williams is more than likely going to be the number one pick in next year's draft. So, uh, but not going to certainly not comparing Caleb Williams to Jackson Arnold. We don't know anything about Jackson Arnold yet in college football. But that's exciting. Aside from him, though, Grant, I don't have many thoughts on, on really any of the guys. Do you have any thoughts on any of the players? I mean, not not ones that I haven't already um, haven't already kind of communicated on this. Obviously, you're, you're happy with getting you know one of probably like in terms of results on the field, the best quarterback in all of high school football this season. In terms of the position that he played, the conference, the state that he played in, the class that he played in, the competition he played again. This they they got in terms of results, effectiveness, the best quarterback in high school football. Um, in terms of just what has happened on the field. So you're happy about that, obviously. And he's a guy who is who is comfortable and familiar with this offense. Um, at least, you know, that's that's the narrative. That's that's the talk. So I'm obviously happy about Peyton Bowen. I, I, I happen to think, I've, I've watched quite a bit of Peyton Bowen tape. I think he looks awesome. Like, as in, when you just watch him, it's very clear that he is just kind of mentally on the field above everyone else, too. There's just He has a certain type of comfort in a lot of his videos where it just kind of feels like he... He knows exactly what he's doing when he's breaking on the ball. It's like he knows the exact route. He knows exactly what the offense is doing. And he just kind of looks a lot more explosive than everybody else, especially like on some of those pick sixes and punt return touchdowns that he has on tape. And so that's, I'm really excited for him. Um, other than that, you know, I, you know, PJ Adebore, obviously, I, I, I personally think he's much more of a project than people are willing to give it credit for. Um, he's a guy, if you, if you see him kind of like some screenshots of it, he's, He's very impressive physically. He's a body type that OU just doesn't really have right now. But I, he's he's not super not super experienced. hasn't played a lot of football. Wouldn't be surprised if it takes him a couple years to kind of put it all together and be like a really big impact player. Other than that, Lee, I've you know, and I've I've said this to you. I think I've said this on this on this podcast as well. The guy outside of those top three that I just mentioned that I'm most excited for is the linebacker from Tampa, Lewis Carter. I think he is. I think he is. He's got the best tape, honestly, of anyone in this class. Uh, he just kind of reminds me of a guy that uh, that would go to Georgia and would be a two-time All-SEC guy and then go get drafted in the second round and play in the NFL for 10 years. Um, mm. I, I, he's a guy, when I watch him, he reminds me a lot of N'Kobe Dean that Georgia just had last year and was one of the best linebackers in the country, one of the best linebackers in the country for multiple seasons. Really excited to watch him play. I think, he's a, I think he may be an instant impact 
type of guy. Um, other than that, you know, I, I've, you know, I, I want to be careful with making predictions because that's all they really are—just predictions. Uh, there, there's a few guys who I'm not super sold on. I think Derek LeBlanc is probably he, he has kind of, he's got sort of a busty profile, in, in my opinion. Um, he's just kind of all over the place in the rankings of the different recruiting classes. Uh, when I've seen pictures of him, he just doesn't look that physically imposing. Even though I, I realize that he's six four and a half, two sixty five, uh, just in pictures and why he just doesn't look it, in, in my opinion. Uh, so that I'm I'm not too excited for that guy. I know a lot of people are, uh, but other than that, I'm I'm kind of in wait and see mode. I, I know that's uh, that's not really what people are looking for, but like I said, not a not not a guy who really digs into recruiting that much. You know, in the past on this show, I've talked about how much I like Jacoby Johnson from Mustang, Oklahoma, four star. I I'm hoping and expecting him to play corner. Uh, I know I I've, I've heard that that's kind of the idea behind. Uh, him he's he's an athlete played both ways you know played receiver his body type is great he's 6'3 183 185 he's a basketball player uh, he, he's choosing football I think he might actually be I don't know how realistic this is but I want to say I heard a rumor that he might try to dip his toe into basketball at OU too I don't I don't I don't know we'll see but uh, that it's just his size and if he can figure out how to play corner that's that's incredible 6'3 and he's he's athletic and he can figure it out you know Jay Valai, you know, figure it out, man. Uh, that's, I mean, you're that big, and you can become like a pretty darn good corner. You can lock people down. You're a first-round draft pick. So I'm excited about Jacoby Johnson, see what he does. And looking at this class, keep it in the secondary, Grant. You know, we talked about Peyton Bowen. He did. Uh, listed as a safety. You know, he, not listed. He is a safety. You see Macari Vickers, also a safety, 6'1", 180. Seatbelt. That's his nickname. Love it. <laughs> And uh, Day McCullough, who, along with his brother, is now his brother, what, from Indiana, is transferring in. Uh, McCullough is also a safety at 6'2", 200. All of these safeties that are big, uh, that's interesting. Now, are they all going to end up playing safety? Like, are, are, is it going to be a situation where we see a couple of these guys back there and one of these guys is a cheetah? Uh, you know, that, that's what kind of intrigues me. I mean, what, what, probably, right? That's what intrigues me about this recruiting class is, the size of these defensive backs. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, you, you just kind of go down the list here. You look at their, you look at their defensive back recruiting in this. This, as far as defensive back goes, this recruiting class is awesome. I mean, this is here we this go. Is, this is here by far. This is by far the best defensive back recruiting class that I've seen Oklahoma sign. I, I mean, obviously since Bob Stoops was here, but probably since the 2000s. On paper, it looks freaking awesome. They're period. sucking us in. Yet again, we're going to be sucked in, excited about the defensive backfield. You got some other players on the well, current see, that's, roster. Obviously, that's where you and I are different. I'm not. I'm not expecting any of these guys to be amazing right away. I bet we'll see Peyton <laughs> Bowen next year. I'm not expecting to see anyone else. Yeah, I know. It's just I will never learn. It's a theme of this podcast. I get excited about maybe we can see some good defensive back play every once in a while. We'll see it. Uh, I Billy, uh, you know Billy Bowman's interception against uh oklahoma state i love that play playing center field and then he just laid an egg against texas tech it's like can we get some consistent really good defensive back play uh but i'm not gonna yeah i'm not gonna expect it i'll tell you that yeah i say that now though fast forward to like august and I'll, i'll be all in again here we go that's just the way it is all right what's next uh the recruiting class yeah, we can move on. I mean, we, let's talk about because uh, you. I mean, you had mentioned it. Let's let's talk about the new transfers that have come in since then. 
uh, because really until national si- or, and you know until national signing day, Lee the big I mean the 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 a topic basically between the Texas Tech game and and now this bowl game was uh, was Desan McCullough from Indiana committing. He's the transfer. At one point in time, he was the number one player in the transfer portal. I think that's that's changed since other people have uh, have entered as well. Uh, but Lee Desan McCullough, he was a as a true freshman this past season in Indiana. He was an All Big Ten guy, or I'm sorry, an All Big Ten honorable mention. Um, you know, I not a whole lot of highlights out there for him. To be totally honest with you, I know there was one. Uh, of a you know uh, of a play that he made behind the line of scrimmage earlier this season against kind of an FCS team that people have been sharing. I didn't honestly think was that too impressive. That got me that excited. Um, but the thing that's 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 uh, that's exciting about this guy Lee is his physical profile. This was Indiana's number one their their top recruit in the history of their program. I think he was a top fifty guy in the composite um, uh, last year as a as a twenty twenty two recruit. And he was a he was he was one of their best players on defense this season as a true freshman, and I think when everybody looks at him right now, they think to themselves, it's it's the perfect physical profile of what of what Brent Venables wants in his cheetah position, and so I think right now the assumption is that this guy comes in as a day one starter. I think that's probably a safe assumption, uh, just because he he was a starter at Indiana this past season. But um, other than that, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, this is this is definitely a, a guy that I want to pump the brakes with a little bit. Not that I. Not that I'm not excited about it. Not that I'm not excited about his profile and his potential. Uh, but also, I just want to pump the brakes in the sense that he wasn't amazing at Indiana this year, despite the honorable mention All Big Ten. Uh, he he wasn't super statsy. He didn't put up a lot of numbers or anything like that. And it was a bad Indiana team this year. So I I do think I'm excited. I do think he's a day one starter. Let's pump the brakes a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm looking at his numbers, and you're right. Nothing really jumps off the page. It looks like he had most of his production in the first three games of the season against Illinois, Idaho, and Western Kentucky. That's where he he accumulated three and a half uh, tackles for loss, three sacks in those games. Uh, The rest of the way, though, once you hit Big Ten conference play, uh, you, you see two and a half TFLs and one sack. So, I mean, I'm not sure what the type type of player, what his role was. Not a whole lot of tackles. The most tackles he had in the game was eight against Rutgers. You're right. It's a bad Indiana team, but his profile is intriguing. Six, five, you know, he's listed at 225. Maybe he's a little bit bigger than that. Who knows after a year of college. And the whole idea is, you know, now we'll see what Brent Venables and this staff can do with him. I'd be a lot more confident in this guy coming in if, we would have seen a jump. I guess, you know, I, earlier I, I said there wasn't much of a jump from anybody. I take that back. I think Deshaun White definitely looked a lot better in Britt Venables' scheme. Like, he was flying around. So, I guess he's probably the best example of somebody who looked better in the, in the, the Venables' scheme. So, I don't know. We'll see if, if, if uh, McCullough can come in and, and be a day one starter at OU and, and contribute. I guess that's all. I, I mean, yeah, we, we, don't, we don't know until – uh, I guess the spring and we'll hear more about him. So, but better to have him than not. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and that's, and it's, it's a two for one is two because you get his, you know, you, you get his brother day who is, who is in the recruiting class. He's going to be a freshman coming in. And I like another guy who you love his size profile. So, um, and also I, another thing I like, I mean, he was, he was previously committed to Luke fickle at Cincinnati. And I mean, Luke fickle has, has clearly proven that he can find guys and put them in the NFL. Um, and yep. so that's an interesting evaluation, in my opinion. So, you know, happy to have him. And so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. 
And I, I guess I, I do want to mention one thing. He had, when he committed to OU that, that weekend, it was a couple weekends ago, he tweeted out a picture with, it was, it was him and his brother Day along with, along with Venables. And it really stood out to me. Desan McCullough in that picture looks like a really big dude. He looks like an NFL player. And like, that's what I'm like. I like seeing stuff like that where it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, you can tell that dude is just like kind of an elite looking athlete. And so really that's all we got to go off right now. Unfortunately, more transfer news, really interesting one. (laughs) Oklahoma picks up the dude who blew up Dylan Gabriel in the Texas tech game a month ago, uh, (laughs) Reggie Pearson jr. And I remember, I think I was texting you and Brady during that, or we were, maybe we even said it on the podcast. It's like, you know, when was the last time you remember a OU DB just, granted, I mean, it was a free shot on Gabriel, but like even just a, a hit that big on, on anybody. I just don't really remember it. Uh, and all of a sudden now that guy is going to be coming to Oklahoma. <laughs> and I mean, he's a player that's a veteran, and I mean, he's coming to OU, I'm sure, expecting to start right away. You would imagine, though, there is plenty of other players on this current Oklahoma roster that was also expecting to start right away that necessarily didn't. And I'm thinking of you know, Trey Morrison, uh, C.J. Colden, a couple of them that ended up starting later on. But uh, interesting pickup by Oklahoma as Reggie Pearson Jr. transfers within the conference to OU. Yeah, see, actually, I, I think this is a pretty quiet, good pickup. I, I like this one. Um, and, and this is why. I'm, I'm really viewing this as this guy is Justin Broyles' replacement for next year. And I think, I think it's a pretty clear physical upgrade over Justin Broyles. Um, I, I mean, I, I think you can pencil this guy in. He's, he, he's going to start opposite um, Billy Bowman next season. I, I think that's... I'm kind of making that call right now. I don't really know who else it would be. I think we're at the point right now where we kind of have to... I'm not going to say... I, I'm, I'm not... Give up on Key Lawrence is not the right word, but we have to kind of accept that Key Lawrence is who he is. At this point in time, I think he was given a lot of opportunities this season, especially with kind of, you know, at times how uh, how injured the secondary was at times this season. He was given a lot of opportunities to kind of take that role and probably last season as well. And dude just can't stay healthy, can't be consistent enough. And, you know, Reggie Pearson Jr., this guy started every single game for Texas Tech this season. And Texas Tech had a better defense in Oklahoma. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, he said back to back really consistent years at Texas Tech last season or I guess this current season and then 2021 2021 54 tackles this season 55 tackles I got a couple TFLs last year has three total picks so I mean at least tackles wise uh, and played a lot of games played 11 games in 21 played all 12 games this year consistent and I would imagine uh, you mentioned Key Lawrence and Justin Burroughs kind of fits in this as, as well I mean Back-to-back years, you know, 11 games and 12 games, uh, it would appear that he, uh, he could stay healthy. I'm looking back at the numbers. He, he missed a couple of games in 21 due to injury, but he ended up playing 11 total, and then he played every game this year. So maybe he's a guy that can stay healthy or more healthy than the previous players at that position that we've seen at Oklahoma. And also uh, we, and, know that, yeah. we know that Brent Venables, he's, he's experimenting with that. He, he does want to run that Iowa State umbrella coverage, three-safety look. And you need a guy in that look who can come up in the box and lay a lick on someone. And I think this guy probably fits that profile of what they're looking for right now. I don't think you're going to be able to find some sort of elite safety in the transfer portal. You may be able to find a safety who has one good skill set, though, and I think this guy can tackle. I'll take it. And previously, before Texas Tech, he was at Wisconsin. And you know, that's obviously a, 
a program that's has that kind of reputation for being hard-nosed defensively. Heck, I think Jay Valai played at Wisconsin. So I don't know if there's any sort of connection there. Probably not. That was a while ago. But uh, interesting. Interesting background and interesting pickup. And curious to see uh, how quickly Pearson is inserted into the into the lineup. I mean, because, yeah, a guy that's played this much, he's expecting to come in and play day one, I'm sure. And he'll get that opportunity. I would, I would uh, definitely believe that. Will be interesting to what see else? just kind of how everything else shakes out, though. After the bowl game, there's obviously going to be more guys who leave, enter the portal, uh, maybe just move on with their lives as well. So, it'll. It, I'm sure we're going to get a much clear, a much clearer picture after all of that. Um, so, uh, the other, the other thing, Lee, you know, before just mentioning, you know, mentioning specific players, this isn't set in stone yet, but I, I, I do want to bring it up just because narratives have emerged on it, and I, I think it's just interesting. Uh, but it's you know looking like Trace Ford actually, and we I think we talked about this on our last podcast as well as like kind of oh he's in the portal that's interesting, um, but he he has emerged Lee, as a legitimate possibility to come to OU, um, and if you kind of believe any of the sort of the inside sort of message board reporting on any of this stuff, it does look like Lee, this is between OU and USC for Trace Ford. So <laughs> really, yes, and so I have I here's my prompt on that. How's that make us feel? How make you feel? Well, I think you brought it up maybe the last episode is he hasn't been the same since I think he tore his ACL and, and missed all of the 21 season, I believe. Yeah, he was he basically it was yeah, 2019 and 2020 are the only seasons he's really played in college. He, he played he this was, year, I suppose. He just wasn't he didn't really do much this year, did he? No, I mean, he only had eight tackles although he did have three tfls and and i mean he played he was a bit player i mean he played nine games didn't he, but he also, only had eight though, tackles is there tell me if you if you have any way of looking at this didn't he have like eight like bat down like pass breakups this year or something like that i could have sworn i saw that Jeez. stat somewhere uh, which that's a lot six that's a lot as well yeah that's really good so he didn't play against ou didn't he didn't play in bedlam his his last game was November the 5th against Kansas, so I'm sure he, he must have been banged up and missed the rest of the, the season. So, I mean, it's a body. It's a guy that it, it, will he somehow get back to what he was his first two years? He was a really good player in 2019 and 2020. Uh, can he be somebody who can be utilized in certain situations? Can he be a situational player, a pass rusher, if you will? Is that – I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's really part of – Brent Venables' kind of mentality, or Miguel Chavis, or Todd Bay, whatever you want to throw it in there. But, I mean, certainly Oklahoma's interested in him, it would appear, based on what you were saying. I just don't know what he's got left in the tank. I mean, he, the, the injury bug, I mean, it definitely it bit him. And, I mean, there, I don't know, man. It's, it's, what, if, what if Trace Four comes to Oklahoma and he can – get back to close to what it looked like in 2019 and 2020. And then also Austin Stogner. Maybe there's something in the water, and Austin Stogner can get back to what he looked like early in his career. These two guys that seemingly do not look the same since suffering severe lower body injuries in their college football careers. I don't know. I uh, And so, yeah, my, my hesitation on Trace Ford is, is entirely due to his health. Like, I mean, I said, like I said in the last podcast, I'm not sure if I'm interested in the corpse of Trace Ford. Um. But like also, I mean, if you can, 
if, if he can be healthy, if you can get him back to 100% healthy, and that doesn't necessarily mean he's 100% of what he was two years ago, but you can get him totally healthy and you can guarantee me that he's going he's gonna to have a season where he's not really injured for OU, you can absolutely convince me that he's a better option than Reggie Grimes. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I've always been impressed with Trace Ford. He, he seems like a smart, heady player. He, he seemingly makes plays. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's the pass breakups that kind of gets me licking my lips a little bit. That's huge. That's a big deal. Um, and because that's that that shows intent a lot of the time. You have to be thoughtful to get pass breakups as a defensive lineman. A lot of the time, you have to be thoughtful in chaos, um, which I really like. And I'll be totally honest with you, Lee. Now that this thing is an OU versus USC thing. I freaking want them. I don't want them to win that battle. <laughs> and I know that sounds dumb. And I know like I'll I'll totally throw any principles or any sort of logic out of there. If it's OU versus USC for this guy, screw those guys in LA. I want them. That makes sense. <laughs> well, I mean, he'll certainly go wherever he thinks he can play more, wherever he gets more playing time. And I mean, as a, I mean, you can see why going and playing for Alex Grinch as a defensive end would be pretty exciting, right? Because you're rushing the passer a lot. <laughs> like you're, but I mean, playing for Britt Venables though is you're going to get a lot of hey, opportunities as well. So you're right, Lee. But I. This is something that like is so weird that, and I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but I'm pretty sure OU is still in the top ten in the country in TFLs and sacks. It's just how many of that happened in the first three games of the year. I mean, they were leading the nation. Well, they were still <laughs> you know, getting. Like, they, I mean, TFLs like that. I'm pretty sure they lead the Big Twelve in TFLs. They were getting TFLs consistently pretty much all year. Sacks, well, can... sacks were definitely. I mean, it was more like. It, it did seem like a lot of the times, especially in the second half of the season, most of the sacks were covered sacks, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it, it, as far as total TFLs, OU is number five in all of college football right now. And like that's, I, I got to tell I mean, that's, that is something to point to. They didn't, that's better than anything Alex Grinch ever did at OU, period. They were doing something and, right there. They were doing heck, something. I mean, they're, I mean, the top three teams, Liberty, Southern Miss and Clemson have all played an extra game as well. So, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, that is impressive. I mean, they're, they're averaging eight, 8.2 per game, and that's fifth in the nation too as far as TFLs per game. So, yeah, I, man, but here's the thing though, Grant, <laughs> and we can talk about that because I, I kind of did some digging on some numbers, and maybe we'll talk more about this when we talk about Florida State, but uh, OU's got a lot of TFLs, but man, they defended more plays than anybody else in college football. They had a lot of opportunities, <laughs> more so than a lot of like everybody else to actually get TFLs. So I think, in a weird way, it kind of skews the numbers a little bit. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what it is. I guess TFL per play, right? I mean, per play yeah, defended. I guess I can, yeah, I, I guess I could do the math. But still, I mean, it's it's it still counts. I mean, it's still like that oh, yeah, doesn't. No, it's, it's still, and like it's I'm still not saying news. OU's defense was not good this year. But there's at least something there that we can point to and say, oh, that wasn't terrible, though. There's something there. That's what we want. We want that many TFLs. What can we do to maintain that, maybe even prove on it, and make sure everything else gets better from there? Because how many times this season, Lee, I felt they did a pretty good job this year at times of getting the other team behind the chains, and that, which, which made it even more frustrating when they would give up long stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, they had that. They had that stretch. I mean, the end of the year, they had that nice stretch where they were playing good football, and then the Texas Tech game happened. I mean, they were playing really, really nice football defensively until that Texas Tech game. So, I mean, there was bright spots. It's just the they faced so many plays, and the 
the bad stuff was really bad. It was really, really bad. Uh, there was there's not a lot of consistency. So, uh, yeah, but let's, let's see. Where were we? Yeah, talking about Trace Ford and, and the team. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, we're still in the transfer portal. I mean, that's kind of all they have. I mean, they, we talked about Pearson and McCullough. Trace Ford. I mean, they're going to be they're going to be more active in the portal. You would anticipate even after the bowl game, right? I mean, they're going to they they need to be at least. I, yeah, I think they need a receiver. They need a receiver. They need a receiver. They need to bring some receivers. Impact receiver. I mean, they this is. I I really think they cannot go into next season without because we don't know what Marvin Mims is going to do. But if like if Marvin Mims leaves, they cannot go into next season without a impact transfer receiver, who is a number one at some other place. They just can't. I. Unless and like and like and this is this is pipe dream. This is you know pass me what you're smoking type deal. Unless I guess unless DJ Graham is like is some amazing revelation at wide receiver. But that's <laughs> that's I mean that's just there's no way it's going to work out that cleanly, right? Probably not. But that's actually interesting because we haven't talked about DJ Graham in forever. Ever since basically he, he found out that he was going to change positions. And we all kind of assumed that oh, he's gone. He's going to enter the transfer portal. Well, I mean, given Oklahoma State at the wide receiver position right now, I maybe he doesn't necessarily need to go into the portal. If maybe he still gets along with this staff and thinks he can, play. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if, if there's no hurt feelings and he actually just wants to keep playing for Oklahoma, he might have a legitimate chance to be a receiver. And I don't know. I mean, he's always wanted to do that. I. It was a failed experiment for him at defensive back as much as we wanted it to work out. He just didn't have the the instincts for it. So, I don't know. I mean, he's super athletic. And uh, as I always suppose, like, still, where is he going to be able to transfer and be a receiver? He's never put any receiver tape, you know, like anything on well, tape in college. I mean, certainly some smaller school would probably take him just based on his high school stuff. But, I mean, does he want to go to a, a mid-major? Does he want to go to a G5 school? I don't know. I mean, probably not. I mean, I, like right now, I mean, let's say uh, – I got. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't have any sort of inside information here, but I just have a feeling that Marvin Mims is not going to be on OU next year. Whether that's, I don't know. I mean, maybe he'll go to the NFL. I. But I just don't know if he's ready for that yet. Uh, I don't know. And maybe he'll transfer. Maybe he'll think, you know, I want to go and play one more year, but go and play in a different offense. But at the same time, I mean, he's already. <laughs> he kind of got. I mean, with Lincoln Riley, he didn't get very many targets. He looked really good at the start in this Jeff Levy system, but then Marvin Mims had a really weird season where he dropped a lot of passes towards the end of the year. Yeah, I think I, I think I, I think Marvin had Marvin arguably had a bad season. I like he just wasn't he got way more opportunities in this offense than he did with Lincoln Riley, but he also had way more failed opportunities than he ever did with Lincoln Riley as well. So yeah, I I don't know. I just have a I have a feeling that he's not going to be here next year. Whether it's he goes to the NFL or if he just he just decides he wants to go somewhere else and and plays for a different team. So I mean, if he's not here, you know, obviously Theo Weiss is gone. I mean, your number one receiver right now is then Jaleel Farouk, and you're messing with Jaleel Farouk, and you hope that Jaden Gibson takes off. You hope that Nick Anderson figures it out, even though he barely played this year. Uh, I mean, heck, we'll see some of these guys in the bowl game. Maybe the maybe we'll have a uh, Jaleel Farouk-like explosion in the bowl game like we saw last year. And then Farouk ended up being a, a big-time contributor this year for OU. I don't know. I mean, but you're right, though. We're all kind of just hoping. It would sure be nice if they picked up an impact receiver out of the portal. So, yeah. All I, right. And, but, yeah, I mean, you want to let's yeah, let's transition to Florida State here. I I think because it is important like with the transfer portal, it's it's hot and heavy right now for sure. 
but there's going to be more. I mean, there's the bowl. The bowl season's not over. There's going to be kind of there's going to be some players from kind of more prestige pro- programs that are going to be in there, um, and just after spring as well. There's going to be dudes after spring that they're going to be able to you know pick as well because guys from OU are probably going to leave after the spring as well. So still a lot to shake out. I feel like. All right, so Cheez It Bowl, OU's playing Florida State. It opened at I think seven, seven and a half. Florida State favored. It's now gone up to. It got up to as much as 10. I'm not so sure. It might be 10 in some places. Florida State, essentially, I mean, not, not, their entire team is, is in. I mean, they're, nobody's opted out. They have some potential NFL guys, but they're all playing, as far as I can tell here, on Monday, December 26th. They're in. OU, of course, is going to be missing some guys. Eric Gray, Anton Harrison, Jalen Redmond, Wanye Morris, and uh, I may be missing one or two here, but honestly, it's not as many guys as I kind of thought it would be and more, more than I kind of sat down and started prepping for the podcast. But I mean, those are some names. I mean, there are a couple of guys on the offensive line, obviously maybe Oklahoma's best offensive player this season and Eric Gray. Uh, and so it would appear that as far as the, the, the way the roster goes, the way the seasons have gone, Florida State, there's a reason why Florida State Grant is a double digit favorite. Uh, it, it, it makes sense. Uh, they've had a better year than Oklahoma. I think it's – and you said earlier last show that they're not that – I mean, they're a little overrated. They might be, but I think they're – I mean, I watched a little bit of the Florida game. Florida's not that good, though, but uh, their offense is pretty explosive, and they have a sneaky good defense. I mean, their defense uh, statistically is, is a lot better than Oklahoma's. So, I mean, this is going to be a tough test for Oklahoma, but it's certainly a game, though, even though Oklahoma's a, a double-digit dog. It's Oklahoma. They, they can win the football game. Uh, it's going to take a lot, though, and the big question for me is what you know, what's it going to look like? I mean, through 12 games, Brent Venables' strategy, Jeff Levy's strategy, everything was kind of the same. I I would bet, though, or I'd bet based off of that, they're going to stick with the same exact script here against Florida State and see if it works, and I don't, I don't know if that's going to be good enough to, to win a game like this. So uh, what are your initial thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I I'm kind of starting to – Listen, I'm I'm not super intimidated by Florida State. I I do not think there's some overwhelming behemoth juggernaut that OU should be terrified of. They're not. OU has played multiple better teams in Florida State this season. Um, but also, and like, but also, there's there's part of me that is, I'm pausing because I'm kind of analyzing myself and realizing that a lot of my feelings for Florida State going into this are are directly related to the conference that they play in and and on you know frankly the easy schedule that they've played this season um and yeah i just i don't know if we know a whole lot about florida state i think they've they've essentially lost to the two best teams that they've played this year uh lsu obviously they beat lsu um that was it was it was week what zero or week one it was week one it was week one and lsu looked really bad in that game to be honest with you um I just, it's Florida State. They, they also, you know, under over the last handful of years, they haven't, they have not been a recruiting juggernaut. So I, I just, I think this game is a lot more evenly matched than people are willing to give it credit for. All things removed, if you remove kind of like the narratives going into this game, the whole idea about, you know, uh, OU's opt outs and just sort of the general vibes around everything, I really do think on a neutral field at full strength, like so, just go back to three or four weeks ago. I really do think on a neutral field, this game would probably be a pick'em with Anton Harrison and Eric Gray and all of that. And I, 
and I, I think I think Vegas probably agrees with me as well. Look at SP Plus. You can look at Sagarin. You can look at ESPN, FBI, and all of that stuff. This is this is kind of a, on a neutral field with with full squads. It's toss up, toss up game, and so I I think the only thing right now that is pointing me towards Florida State rolling is just narrative and vibes fully. Uh, like I I don't know like intellectually. OU should probably be really competitive in this game and is, is honestly going to have a chance to win it. I don't know. I mean, if you're, let's say if you know to your um, your scenario after the regular season ended, both have played twelve games and they were playing the next week a thirteenth game and everybody was still on the roster. I I don't think it would have been it would it would have opened probably like Florida State even on a neutral. It would have been Florida State would have been at least a three point favorite. I bet maybe it would have gotten I, bet a certain way but uh just based off of like the record alone it would be Florida State would have been definitely favored especially because they're hot I mean they've won I think five in a row and I don't uh, I I think you're wrong about that I don't think that's true because even today and I don't know and like I, I know I'm a broken record on this stuff SP plus still favors OU by three in this game and like no, and, I mean, and there, there's I I didn't see a line all year where SP Plus and Vegas were off by six points, which is what you were what suggesting there. So, like, this is this right now, this is like the biggest spread between what Vegas has and what like SP Plus expects based off their algorithms. Well, I think SP, SP Plus's algorithm here is, is off because, I mean, basically what you're saying is that like Eric Gray and Anton Harrison is not worth like seven points. There's not. Uh, I mean, uh, quarterbacks would be worth like that, but. But those so I think, I think, players aren't I, worth that much. I think with Vegas, this is just this is money coming in on Florida State. Well, because they open at seven and a half, and so I mean they're playing the game in Florida. So throw in you know maybe an extra point or point and a half for home field ish for them, you know. So then maybe you're actually probably a point and a half. So maybe it would it might have been Florida State. Heck, by six or five. I mean, I just I don't know, man. I I. I Florida State, I, though, I'm like, just saying, what, Florida State has built up a lot, a lot of like just a ton of trust in the last month of the season, beating up on some pretty crappy football teams. Period. And that's that's the handicap, right? I mean, they, uh, I mean, basically the way you're talking, I mean, you you should be putting one of your biggest bets ever if you can go to Vegas right now on OU, you know, plus the ten. I mean, that's that's like that's you, what, you, that's you what I'm thinking. The, like the rubber band. I, I, that's what I keep saying. I mean, Florida State rolling in this game is based to, is totally on narrative and vibes. And like, I don't think that stuff totally doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I this happens all the time. This is Florida State. They don't have any opt outs. They've won five in a row. They're feeling momentum in their program for the first time. OU's kind of down right now. That stuff does matter, but it doesn't always matter. It doesn't, especially in bowl season. And how much momentum, if any? does the current OU roster and I'm going to guess honestly probably nothing because they're they're on the team who cares but is there any momentum from having a great recruiting class <laughs> and having a bunch of excitement around that uh, I mean maybe if you're playing on the team next year maybe there's a little bit of there like hey all right cool things are looking up let's go and you know who knows what they're doing behind the scenes and preparing for this game maybe they're doing things differently to try to get ready for this game because they are a big underdog and maybe they do want to come out and I, you know, that's the hope. I hope that's happening. It's if, just, if OU comes out prepared to play and they're ready to go and they are fired up, yeah, it's going to be a football game for sure. What have you said? What did you say last show uh, about 
OU's ability and Brent Venables in particular, their ability to prepare. Weren't you saying like early on in games, it's kind of seemed like Oklahoma has been good to go, which is as the game progresses and the game script goes away, then that's when you've seen some mistakes. I mean, heck, maybe uh, OU first half, OU first half would be a pretty good bet here. I'm not sure when this turned into a betting podcast, but it, I guess it has now. Uh, like if you're if you're one that believes that OU is usually really well prepared in the first first quarter, first couple quarters of the game, heck, you know maybe maybe jump on the Sooners in the first half and then see what happens. I don't know. But also, I mean, people people who think that OU is going to get run in this game, they're not crazy. They're not crazy. Like it's not it's 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 smart to pay attention to the vibes. It is because you know it's. You don't you don't want to be caught flat footed with stuff like this. You don't want to be arguing one way and then you know the game starts and it's clear that Florida State is just is just playing just like on a different emotional level than OU and they just never had a chance. You don't you don't you know you always want to factor that in as well. Uh, but also you can really get into trouble when you're factoring in emotional states of people because you actually never know. You really never know. And also I there's I have this feeling like I'm I'm kind of coin flip on this. I I think OU is going to win this game or they're going to get blown out essentially. Um, and I just, if OU is going to have success in this game, I have a sneaking feeling that they are just going to throw it around the yard on Florida state. I, they really, Sam Hartman is by far the best quarterback and best passing game they've played all season long. And Sam Hartman, he only threw for 230 yards in that game, but he completed like over 85% of his passes completed over 10 yards per pass. And his, his QBR in that game was 90. So he kind of, he kind of carved him up a little bit. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Dylan Gabriel comes out and throws for 400 yards in this game. Would it really surprise you that much? Florida State hadn't really played anybody in really any good offenses this year. Best offense mm. they've played all season is LSU's in the first game of the season before Jalen Daniels knew what was going on. I mean, the, I mean, Florida's the best offense they faced. They just they just played them. I mean, Florida's offense is really highly ranked. I mean, would they're you, like a top, might be like a top ten team. You would say uh, that offensively. You would say that. Florida's is better than LSU? I think so, yeah. But, I mean, okay, and Grant, okay, if, even if you want to grant that, Florida had quite a bit of success moving the ball on Florida State their last game. The game was tied at 38 with four minutes to go, and Florida had nearly 500 yards of offense. We're averaging, you know, pretty decent amount yards per play. Yeah, I guess it's more of a toss-up. Yards per play, Florida's better than LSU, but I guess looking at the, the raw numbers, LSU's slightly above Florida. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, those are the two, I mean, the, I guess which Florida State team is, is I mean, it, I think that Florida game probably matters more because it's it's a lot closer to where the team is now as opposed to late August, early September. Yeah, and I and guess, so, I mean, the first four teams that they played in that five-game winning streak, they all suck. They're all bad teams. Pro- I mean, honestly, not not anywhere as good as any of the teams that OU played in the last five, and West Virginia included. Yeah, I mean, Georgia Tech, I mean, Miami's awful. Uh, they beat down Miami, though, and, and what's what's a bit of a rivalry game. Uh, Syracuse ended up dropping way off after having a pretty hot start. Yeah, well, we- yeah, Syracuse is six and six now, and they, I mean, Syracuse in the second half of the year was was one of the worst Power Five teams in the country. Right, and so yeah, I mean, they finally played a, a team with a pulse, but at the same time, though, to your point a little bit ago, you know, the ACC is not very good. I mean, they finally play a team from the SEC, Florida, who, I mean, Florida just got ran in their bowl game, and Florida did not have that good of a year, and Florida pushed them. <clears throat> and you know only only lost by a touchdown so yeah it's like we're I guess let's talk about like things that do make you feel good about Oklahoma's chances I think that's number one is just 
competition-wise, I don't know if Florida State's played that many good teams, especially in their conference. I mean, the, the Big 12, top to bottom, is better than the ACC. I think it is, even though it, it was frustrating that we are, already saw the Baylor go down to uh, Air Force, right, <laughs> in that uh, frigid uh, that's polar a, vortex. And, and that, like, that's, that's, that's one of those bowl games where you just kind of have to be like, yeah, this is a weird bowl game. I mean, it was right. below zero wind chill. That was a bad matchup for Baylor anyway because they have a bad run defense and, you know, Air Force, that's all they do is run the ball. It's, I mean. So, yeah, I mean, so last time out, Florida State played a Florida team that has a pretty good offense. I mean, an off- I mean, a, a really good. I mean, an offense that in a lot of ways statistically is better than OU's, but they're somewhat on par. And Florida did a lot against that Florida State defense, which is only given up about 4.8 yards per play. And so that's on tape for OU to look at. Uh, OU, I mean, Dylan Gabriel's still playing. I mean, Marvin Mims playing in this game. Uh, they still have some weapons offensively. I know they're down a couple offensive linemen and they're running back, but, you know, that you get maybe some some of these younger guys can finally break out. Uh, a la, again, to reference the Jaleel Farouk, good Alamo Bowl game last year. Who knows? Maybe a, a young receiver will have a, a breakout type game. I mean, we're still waiting for Jaden Gibson to break out. Maybe this is the time. Maybe Jaden Gibson can do something. Do we see DJ uh, Graham? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, they yeah, have. Do we see G- they have their quarterback and all of their pass catchers. That's let's go to work. Let's fine. That means they're going to be able if they have time. They're going to be able to complete forward here? passes yeah. in this game. That is that's how you win. That's how you win college football games. Complete I, forward I, passes I, better than the other team. I think this is actually uh, this helps OU. The fact the way the their previous game went down helps Oklahoma. That ridiculous loss to Texas Tech. Stupid loss to Texas Tech. Bad taste in their mouth on the road. Last game of the regular season, they lose that dumb game. Should have won it, blew a big lead. Uh, I think that helps Oklahoma because they they want to make up for that going into the offseason. The fact that OU six and six and doesn't want to end the year below five hundred, I think there's a little bit of a motivational edge there as well. Not edge because I think Florida State's very motivated as well, but uh, I don't I don't think the the Florida State motivation is going to be that much you know higher than Oklahoma's because OU doesn't want to go into the the offseason below five hundred. So I think. The Texas Tech game plays a bit into OU's favor. Defensively, you're down Jalen Redmond. Uh, you need him, some help on the defensive line, but for the most part, your defense is intact. Will that, I mean, the defense that was super inconsistent, and now you're playing against a pretty darn good offense, and against really good offenses, Oklahoma's defense has not been good this year, so that doesn't really give you a whole lot of confidence, but given Brent Venables and you know that staff a month or so to prepare, granted how much the how much preparing are they doing for Florida State in the midst of recruiting? I don't know. But uh, I, uh, Brent Venables' defenses at Clemson going into bowl games, they played a lot of games in the playoffs and obviously played a lot of elite teams. And when they didn't play in the playoffs, like now, when they played kind of subpar type teams, you know, I think they never really played a subpar team. I mean, like the worst team they played in a bowl game when Venables is at Clemson was last season, Iowa State. <laughs> And uh, uh, in, in the same, in this bowl game, the Cheez It Bowl, in, in the Cheez It Bowl, and uh, and Clemson won that game twenty to thirteen. Heck, OU holds Florida State to thirteen points on Thursday. Grant, I think OU wins that football game. What do you think? I do too. And honestly, if they hold Florida State to thirteen points and still lose, there'll be plenty of for me to be happy about, I suppose. But also, oh, man, yeah. that would be that'd be gross. Blech. It's like honestly, like the two worst teams that Clemson pl- played in a bowl game when Venables was there was. Iowa State last season, and the 2014 OU team that they absolutely ran off the field. 
40 to 6. Other than that, it was a bunch of playoff games uh, or, like, or SEC teams. It was Ohio State and Bama, Notre Dame once, uh, LSU a couple of times. I mean, they played a, a ton of really good good teams. And, and some of those games, I mean, Brent Venables and Clemson was able to hold teams down to some pretty low point totals uh, with the exception of obviously the uh, best LSU, the best offensive team ever in 2019 that won it all. So I don't know if that matters much at all, the history of Brent Venables and bowl games and coaching. I mean, it, it's pretty good. Uh, but obviously now he's a head coach and he's had a defense this year that's pretty lackluster. So I'm not sure how much the uh, the previous results as a defensive coordinator at Clemson goes into this. So I don't know. How uh, how do you feel about Jordan Travis? I think he's a good player. I think he's a really good player and he's a great player on the move. And Oklahoma has not done well at all this year against mobile quarterbacks. As we know, Heck, Tanner Shuck or Tyler Shuck, not Tanner. Tyler Shuck's not really a mobile guy, even though you look at some of his numbers and he actually did have some decent rushing numbers late in the year when he took over. But you watch him play. He's not like a burner or anything like that. And he was able to move the ball decently against Oklahoma's defense when he needed to in that game in Lubbock. So Jordan Travis's legs are scary. He's the all-time leading rusher for quarterbacks in Florida State history. The dude can move. And like he's not a terrible thrower with the football. I think, what was he, like 62% completion percentage? Uh, I watched the He's not Florida terrible, game, but... but like he's 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 fine i mean he i don't know like that that's the part of his game that i'm not so sure about it seems like he has like one favorite target johnny wilson who's six seven but he also only had two catches against florida and jordan travis i think went 13 of 30 in that game and florida state still was able to score 45 points which is kind of weird i mean they did yeah, it mostly on the ground they're pretty explosive in the run game like both of their both their main running backs average like over six and a half yards a carry so, I uh, you know with, um, with this guy, I honestly to me he's his his legs scare me. Obviously, I, he's, I think he's a pretty dynamic runner. Um, I told you before we got on this, he's kind of like when I watch him play, he kind of reminds me of Brock Purdy, but just more of a dynamic runner. Um, I think if you keep him in the pocket and you take away his number one read, he turns into an average college quarterback really quickly. I agree. Can Oklahoma keep him in the pocket? Exactly. I, I mean, no, that's the question. And that, like, those are things that really only good defenses can do consistently, right? And OU is not a good defense this year. So will they turn into at one? Least, at least going into this game, they know that he's a guy that can run. Uh, and I say that because, obviously, the West Virginia game, which was another disaster game, uh, you know, the starter of that game was, what, JT Daniels? But then uh, West Virginia brought in their backup who could only run, and yet Oklahoma looked like they were shell-shocked. Like, oh, what? This guy, he's allowed to run the ball, and they were totally taken aback by that guy's running ability. Fast forward to the next week, I, I have memories of them doing a pretty decent job of containing Spencer Sanders when they knew Spencer they Sanders did. was a guy that could run. I'm looking at the numbers. So Spencer Sanders ran the ball a lot that night. 17 carries, but he only got 45, uh, 42 yards. Yeah, I'll, I'm really say this, I'll say this right now. They, the defense plays as well as they did against Oklahoma State. They're going to win this game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Texas Tech, uh, Tyler Shuck's a guy that, again, you look at some of his numbers and you're like, oh, he's surprisingly, he's actually ran the ball a decent amount. Uh, but against Oklahoma, uh, oh, he ran the ball nine times for 44 against OU, and a lot of it was scrambling when he needed to to pick up extra yards and, and pick up first downs, if I remember right. But I would bet going into that game, they weren't game planning or thinking the main thing about Tyler Shuck is his legs. 
Well, Jordan Travis, one of the main things about him is going to be his legs. So the fact that they'll be able to game plan for that, maybe, maybe it'll it'll lead to OU being a little bit better at containing a, a really high level elite mobile quarterback. That's the hope, at least. Yeah. And then also, and then there's just kind of that thought in my head where, you know, Billy Bowman is coming off definitely is like his worst game just as a sooner in general. And he's uh, he's the best player on the defense. What if he just has what if he just has an FU game and just kills everybody? That'd be great. That's another thing. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to the Texas Tech, the fact the way the game played out. I mean, now Billy Bowman, he looked he looked like he had regressed from his his recovery. Like he wasn't as fast in that game. He's he not going to be in his, He's not going to be in the uh, the brace for this game, or at least if his he tweeted out like a few weeks ago, he doesn't have to wear it anymore, and he seemed okay. happy about it. I mean, time is always beneficial when you're trying to rehab stuff, and you know this is going to be an extra month essentially of him just healing up and feeling more comfortable on that knee. Yeah, I mean, if he comes back and, and plays more like he played when he came back, especially the Oklahoma State game, that's going to do nothing but help Oklahoma because he was a liability against Texas Tech. He really was. Let's see, what else? So, like, okay, so those are the things that kind of maybe get you feeling, okay, Oklahoma could win this football game. I feel, okay, not bad. Uh, but then, you know, on the other hand, he talked about how Florida State, everything's kind of going up for them program-wise. They have an explosive offense, a sneaky good defense, they don't give up a whole lot of explosive plays defensively. Very few. Uh, I mean, but they were giving up a good amount, though, against Florida in that game. And Florida's got a good offense. So, again, maybe the, the lack of explosive plays allowed by Florida State's defense, a big part of that is just the lack of good offenses they've played this year. Which, if, yeah. you're, if you're an Oklahoma fan, that's what you kind of hope for. Yeah, if you, if, you, if you tell me like 20 minutes before kickoff, you were to come up and tell me that, yeah, Marvin Mims is going to get loose behind them like three or four times in this game, it wouldn't shock me at all. Right, right. And I mean, Florida State's offense, uh, we were talking about this the other night, they have the most explosive plays in all of college football. That's how explosive this team is. They've, they're, they're averaging over seven a game, 7.3 per game. Uh, it's technically, Western Kentucky has more, but they've also played two more games in Florida State. So on average, or based off of teams that have only played 12 games, Florida State has more explosive plays than anybody, and an explosive play, I'm counting, is a play that's 20 yards or more. And for comparison's sake, by the way, Florida State's got 88 explosive plays in 12 games. That's 7.3 per game. OU has 67, and that's 5.5 per game. So Florida State's averaging almost two more explosive plays per game than Oklahoma so the defense has its work cut out for it and it's a defense in Oklahoma that has faced more offensive snaps than anybody in all of college football and so that's kind of the thing is like is there going to be an adjustment made is Oklahoma going to try to maybe not make their defense you know face 80 snaps or 85 snaps against a really good Florida State offense I mean no I, probably I, not I can't I don't think why I don't think there's there's no there's no evidence to suggest that that's going to be the case. So, I'm already I like yep. I'm already doing the work in my mind to be okay with it. Yeah, there's no reason because yeah, that's like I the last thing I want to do is sit there and seethe on the couch watching because you know they're only taking five seconds between every play again when things aren't working. But it's it's going to happen. That's who they are this year, and so you just you just kind of hope that things are working in this one. Things are working as well as they did against Kansas. Basically, that's where we are. <laughs> Yeah, and just to reiterate, Oklahoma's defense this year in 2022 has defended more plays, more snaps per game 
than any other school in all of college football. Oklahoma is dead last as far as number of plays faced. Uh, and, you know, you watch, like, Oklahoma's offense this year and the way, like, everything we've been complaining about, that's maybe the least surprising stat of all time, <laughs> right? Like, like oh, okay. Yeah, that checks it's, out. That feels right. And, I mean, to OU's credit, to the OU's defense's credit, on a yards-per-play basis, they're not dead last. I mean, they're, like, middle of the pack, giving up 5.5 yards per play. I mean, that's not good, but when you're facing that many snaps per game, I mean, could be worse. You know, yeah, like, I'm still, I'm still gonna say it. this. This defense has looked good more often this season than the defense did last year. Okay, well, I mean, like that's not that's not saying much, but it, I mean, I, I do think that they had, I, I do think that there was improvement on the defense this year. They just didn't have Nick Benito and Isaiah Thomas anymore. Well, and I think also this season's team didn't have Caleb Williams playing in crucial moments. Even though, again, I know Caleb Williams struggled in a couple of games last season, but he also won Oklahoma a couple games. He won the Texas game. He won the Kansas game, which is ridiculous. Uh, And you can't really point to any games this year that Dylan Gabriel won for OU, can you? Uh, Oh, no, no, definitely not. No, I'm trying, like, I I didn't want to shortchange the guy, but no, I I mean, there was games where he played well, like, he, he played nice. But I don't know if he was the one that won them the game. And so that's kind of the also the the big bugaboo is uh like I one of the I remember know. one of the ironic things, the best game he's played all season was probably the last one in Lubbock. That's probably his best game all year. He was very good. He was very good. All right, so what uh what else? Well, I don't know. We can kind of move on to sort of this miscellaneous stuff. I mean, speaking of Dylan Gabriel, this is something that I wanted to bring up. Eric, Eric Bailey, uh, reporter of the Tulsa World, uh, tweeted out today. Um, here, here's the tweet. I'll just read it to you. Is Dylan Gabriel coming back to the Sooners next season? OU offensive coordinator Jeff Lebby was asked that question, and here's what Lebby said. I'm fully confident that he's going to play really well on December 29th, and then we'll go from here, or go from there. That, I was like, okay, that's, hmm, that's weird. Can we read into that? And also, I'm pretty sure Dylan Gabriel was asked if he's coming back next year earlier or, or last week at, at media availability during practice, and he was noncommittal, and he, he just he didn't answer the question, really. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not you know, ring, you know, ringing any alarms or bells or anything like that. I'm, I'm just asking, can we read into that? And what if OU feels like they need to move on from him? What if that's what's happening? No, it's interesting. I mean, that's... Uh, I mean, they're not looking past the bowl game. Uh, obviously, if, if Dylan Gabriel was somebody who, let's say, was a, a player like, I don't know, I mean, for example, like Matt Corral. Let's say if Matt Corral wasn't going to the NFL last year and somebody asked, hey, is Matt Corral coming back next year? And, and he was expected, like he wasn't a guy that was going to go to the NFL. Would have Jeff Lebby been like, ah, we're going to, you know, we're going to, he's going to play great in this bowl game and go from there. And also would have, would Matt Corral have kind of been wishy-washy? My, my point is, Matt Corral was a really good quarterback and probably had a better, you know, better year than Dylan Gabriel had last year, this year. That makes sense? Matt Corral was probably better last season than Dylan Gabriel was this year. Oh, by like uh, orders of magnitude, by a lot. And so the, the thought is, yeah, to your point, is like, has there been some conversations behind the scene of like, hey, uh, if we can find somebody better in the portal, we might go after him. But that'd be surprising to me, though, because, I mean, 
But no, like, how but connected that's, Jeff Levy and Gabriel are. But let's 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 before we talk about the portal, let's move back because I feel like most OU fans, when they hear that, they would probably assume, or it's like, oh, they're just going to give the keys to Jackson Arnold. I think that's what most OU okay. fans would assume. Sure. I'm not coming from that sure. perspective. I think that would be a huge mistake putting all of your eggs into that basket. Um, right? Yeah, but what that does, I mean, you have nobody. You have no backup. Then I mean, your backup is, is Davis Bevel again. <laughs> probably yeah and so uh, this is what yeah but anyway like so let's just I, I think it's i think just for the sake of argument for the sake of the conversation it is interesting to to think about what if like what if dylan gabriel does not come back next year and what if that is is the ou coaches staff what if, what if that's their doing and if that is the case what is the thought process there and so like i said i i, I think it would be a mistake to put all of your eggs into the jackson arnold basket right now i I do not. I really don't believe in this whole play him now so he can take his lumps thing. No, get him prepared so that when he starts playing, he's awesome immediately because that can happen. That has happened with a lot of other good programs and good systems and good offenses. I don't want him to go through growing pains. I want him to be really good immediately. And I do not think that's unreasonable. I think it's unreasonable to expect that if you throw him in there, you know, throw him into the fire as a true freshman. Um, I'm not one of those guys who, who immediately thinks, especially in football, that throwing a guy to a fire and saying, Hey, figure it out is the best way to, to, to handle things. Um, I mean, so, a, a real, a real easy example of, Hey, all right, like we're not going to play him right away. They can sit, learn, and then be awesome right away is Bryce Young. I mean, Bryce Young didn't play right away, way comes out his first year as a starter wins the Heisman. Uh, he was behind Mac Jones in 2020. Tua, a little bit Tua is probably the best example of that, to be honest with you. Who was he behind? Who was the quarterback before Jalen Hurts? You sure? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. I just, uh, how quickly I forget about Jalen Hurts because he's just. He, CJ Stroud just, I, was amazing immediately. Um, other thing, basically any, eh. any, any, any big time program quarterback with a good, with a history of a good offense, they were pretty much all like. If they had some seasoning, they came in and they were pretty much good right away. And that's 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 what I want to happen with Jackson Arnold. I want him to have a year. But I don't know if we if we go to the other side of that. Let's say just for the sake of argument, they they're not going to put all their eggs in that basket, and they want to move on from Dylan Gabriel because maybe they feel like they have a better option in the transfer portal who is interested in them. I think that's an interesting conversation to have. We did kind of a thought exercise before this where we went and looked at all of the quarterbacks in the portal right now. And hey, maybe it's someone who's not even in the portal right now. Maybe it's something it's someone else who we're not who we're not aware of. But right now, in my opinion, there are two quarterbacks in the transfer portal that my feeling is w- would be a better option than Dylan Gabriel just in terms of talent, in terms of pedigree and in terms of what they've accomplished in college football. The first guy, I think is the obvious one, and that's Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. I'm not saying that's necessarily a a realistic thing because I think it's assumed that he's going to follow Jamie Chadwell to Liberty. Um, The second option is one that I know for sure most OU fans are going to hear this and they're going to think I'm crazy. The second option is Spencer Sanders. And I would never bring that up at all except for the fact that it does look like that Trace Ford is interested in Oklahoma. So there is, like, it, there could be some precedent for an OSU guy to come to OU. Okay, so I don't, you know, Grace McCall's got great numbers at Coastal. Sure, I, I, I mean, the the hang up with him in my mind is 
man, he hadn't played anybody really his entire college career. I mean, that's like Dylan Gabriel coming into OU from UCF on steroids. Can't yeah, he figure things out? He's and, big, he can run, and he's not left-handed. <laughs> yes, he, he can run. That's true. He's Let's see. What is his – look at his rushing. Yeah, oh, yeah, he, he runs okay. He, he ran a lot more when he was younger. The last couple of years he hasn't run much. But, yeah, okay, I that's probably unlikely. Spencer Sanders, I yes, I – we talked about this before we got on the air. I, the idea of Spencer Sanders in Jeff Levy's system as a stopgap, like one-year guy, that's not terrible. The issue with, with Spencer Sanders, though, to me, is he's, he's going to get injured five games into the year, and then you're just like, now we're back to injured Spencer Sanders because he's going to run a lot in Jeff Levy's offense. I mean, Dylan Gabriel ran a good amount. Uh, Matt Corral ran a lot, got hurt last year. So uh, I guess it was the bowl game, though. But he got – I mean, Matt Corral got beat up all season long, man. Like, it was – and I don't know. I mean, I guess Sanders was healthy for the most part a season ago. But in his career, he's been banged up. He gets hit around. He gets a shoulder, maybe a lower body. And I, I, that makes me uncomfortable knowing that he's got a bit of an injury history coming in. And then if he gets banged up or injured, we're back to where Oklahoma was in the middle of the year this year when uh, – I, I, I guess the upside is that you would have Jackson Arnold coming in as a backup and not Davis Bevel, so then you see what kind of happens. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, is he an upgrade over Dylan Gabriel when healthy? I think probably yes. I, I just – I really, really feel that he is. Which that's – I kind of feel like a jerk saying that about Dylan Gabriel, but I think Spencer Sanders is obviously a much better runner than Dylan Gabriel. Uh, but I don't know. Throwing-wise – Take it or leave it. I mean, I think Sanders I just, is so inconsistent. I think we really need to just how how limited D- Dylan Gabriel is and, and what you can achieve and how, how effective you can be when the middle of the field is just not open at all to complete passes. That is just such... It, they don't. They do not throw the ball over the middle of the field, nor do they even really attempt to. And it is because Dylan Gabriel is not capable of doing it consistently. I mean, they throw it over the middle of the field every once in a while. I mean, and Spencer Sanders doesn't throw it over the middle of the field that much any either. I mean, not a lot of quarterbacks do. You know, it's, it's not like it's it's all of a sudden going to just all of a sudden change. Uh, Spencer I guess, Sanders yeah, this is, is a, my uh, my motivated reasoning for it is Jeff Lubby's offense. The quarterback didn't really have to make any decisions. It's already predetermined for him, which is right. which was always Spencer Sanders' biggest problem. But he's played in an offense that's pretty predetermined, I think, for him anyways. Um, and. Uh, He's not the most accurate passer either. His arm strength isn't all that great. I just think he's a I better just, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not Gabriel, sure how you which, can look at Dylan Gabriel and say that that guy is really accurate either. He's just not. And um, I don't know. I, mean, I, I guess, yeah. This a, is, I, I, don't, I don't think Dylan Gabriel is better. I think he's a better passer this year than, than Sanders was. Gabriel. Yeah, I mean, statistically, for sure. Yeah, I just, I'm... Man, I just, I, I, don't, I just, I don't think. I think Spencer Sanders does bring you a little bit of dynamism to his game. I don't think Dylan Gabriel brings any of that whatsoever. I don't think. Uh, I just, if it was between those two players, I just, I don't think the risk of Sanders again, his injury thing, and then also him coming in and learning a brand new offense. I like the idea of Dylan Gabriel, second year at Oklahoma. Heck, his what third or fourth year with Jeff Levy's offense, him coming in, here's kind of the scenario that I envision. And I guess Dylan Gabriel will have to have the conversation or Jeff Levy will or Brent Venables. 
we were talking about this. I keep saying we were talking about this before the show. I just it's easy for me to lead in that way. The idea behind a Dylan Gabriel coming back and playing, that's what I think is going to happen. But what if Jackson Arnold's kind of shown that he's pretty darn good and it's a it's a Trevor Lawrence. Uh, gosh, what well, I'm already blanking on the, the old quarterback they had. That was awful uh, that Trevor Lawrence took the place of Kelly Bryant and Kelly Bryant. I mean, it's a I mean, that's kind of in my mind. Like, is it a potential Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence situation where you got this veteran player starting and playing, but at some point, the young freshman is just so much better, and you know the veteran player is starting to struggle, and you kind of need him, and then you go to the freshman guy, and he looks really good. I mean, Clemson kind of had a similar situation this year at times with DJ Ulungalele and their young freshman backup quarterback, like Klubnik or whatever Kate his Klubnik. name is. I, Klubnik, yeah, I mean, I, he came in and, and looked pretty good. Now DJ is transferring, so I but. Is Dylan Gabriel, like knowing that he's got a five-star quarterback, true freshman behind him, is he willing to roll the dice to think, oh, there might be a chance where if I start to struggle, I might get benched in you know my fourth year of college football. Like I, I don't want to have to. I don't know. I mean, that, he would have to be Jackson Arnold would have to be so far and away better than Dylan Gabriel by the eye test. I mean, even like it for I feel like for him to even have like an opportunity to even win the job. Or get any playing time. I, this right. is Dylan Gabriel's number one asset is that he is I, he absolutely knows that offense in and out. I mean that's very clear that he does. He can run the offense. He can. Uh, I. That's really it. He just he just cannot make all of the throws that you need to make. And I'm saying he's physically limited. He's the most physically limited quarterback they've had since I've started watching OU football. Okay, that's hyperbolic. Nate Hibble was a thing, and I suppose Cody Thomas was a thing too, but. Um, guys who who started the entire season, yeah, he's 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 really limited. Doesn't mean he's I mean, bad. I, does not mean he's bad. He is just limited. Yeah, and and I used Clemson as an example: the Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence, and the current Clemson team with DJ and Klubnik. I how easy I forget the most recent example in OU lore. I mean, a season ago. I mean, Spencer Rattler, this veteran player, comes in there. We were hearing rumors in the spring, and heck, we saw the spring game how good Caleb Williams was. And he looked like the better player in the spring game, but it's like, yeah, whatever, it's a spring game. I was hearing in August that Caleb Williams was also looking like the better player in practice. And then, sure enough, it turns out Lincoln Riley finally has to pull the trigger and go to Caleb Williams. And so I bring that up with point being is that Jackson Arnold will have plenty of time in the spring and in August to – can he be like a Caleb Williams where it's like, man, like we got a starting quarterback here in Dylan Gabriel, but geez, like this other guy, he might be better. And that's kind of what, obviously, if you're an OU fan, you, you hope for, because that, that means you got a really good player. You hope, yeah, the, the, and, the thing that you hope the most when Jackson Arnold steps on campus in a week and a half, two weeks, is that he's got the mental chops to, to get everything real quick. And that's where you hope that him being in a similar offense in, in, in high school helps along with that. And then also you see it on tape, man. He's bigger than Dylan Gabriel, and he's he looks like a better runner than Dylan Gabriel, and that that seems like a big deal in this offense. Um, and then another, he's he's right-handed. I, I just that's I just I can't I'm I can't it's lefty. I cannot do the lefty. Can't do it. Sorry, man. You're you're left-handed. Uh, there are plays that you cannot run because you have a left-handed quarterback. I I just I don't want to do it. Don't want to do it. He's got to throw across his body too much. 
on easy throws. I don't think that's true. I think you can run the same plays. It's all just depending on where you are on the, on the hash marks and where you're on the field. That's stupid. I, I don't buy into the left-handed quarterback thing as much as you do. Because it, it... Anyways. <laughs> yeah, so, but it is an interesting situation. I, yeah, like the fact that maybe it was a bit of a, of a cagey answer between Lebby and then potentially Gabriel. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Occam's Razor says that's probably... They're probably he's probably angling to get more NIL money. I would guess that that was if you put a gun to my head, I would say that that's probably the most likely thing that's happening right now. He's staying quiet and in the hopes that the collectives will 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 toss him an extra hundred grand or something next year, which is fine, which is I mean, that's that's the game we're going to play these days. Now it is what it is. If that is the case. Hey, let's go to the West of Everest Facebook page. I put up a prompt before our show just to see if anybody would check in. Um, I, I know it was. Didn't give you guys much time to comment, so if you've commented and we're not going to mention your question or your thoughts, that's because we've already recorded, but we do have a couple, and uh, we've already mentioned Brady on the show once. Brady jumps in, and uh, we were kind of just, I just referenced Caleb Williams and how he looked really good in the spring game, and then he looked good in August and whatnot, and so kind of playing off of that, Brady says, or asks, will this be the weirdest spring ball in recent OU memory, <laughs> yes, May, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think I, we're you think we're gonna get another? Think we're gonna get seventy thousand at the spring game again? Oh boy, probably not. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Probably not this uh, year. I, maybe I mean, if it's like a really nice day. Yeah, maybe. Because it was. It's I just, mean, it was fun last year. If they can make it fun, maybe people will do it. They're gonna have to think of different ideas. Uh, I mean, the whole like we're family. That was the whole theme of like, hey, OU football is, you know back to embracing everybody from the past and it was all great until oh you go six and six and so you know it's almost like you got to go out there and you got to win games but yeah i mean depending on how the quarterback position plays out how's that gonna go that could be weird uh, just the the fact that i mean i guess we'll see how the bowl game goes i mean oh you loses this game to florida state they go six and seven i mean boy you're in desperation mode if you're brent venables like you, you can't Every single day, every single practice matters even more than it was before because you you can't you can't go six you can't go back to back mediocre seasons, especially with all the you know good recruiting classes. So yeah, it'll be weird. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's boy if they can somehow duplicate though another massive showing at the spring game that you know major props to OU fans. That's for sure. I just you know that, heck, getting, who knows? getting way guess, ahead of heck, ourselves here. Heck, this bowl game could go a lot into that. If they play really well in the bowl game and like run Florida State and there's a lot of excitement, you know, maybe. Maybe people come back out. I don't know. I don't know. They're not gonna they're not going to they didn't run anybody. They didn't run any power. Ah, they they did. They beat the crap out of Nebraska. Was that this year? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> uh Philip on the West of Everest Facebook page says he has a question. It says best case and worst case scenario for the Cheez It Bowl. Well, I'm so- best case is uh, OU runs Florida State. <laughs> they win. They just they win. I don't care. Just win. That's that's best case. Uh, well, yeah. Best worst case, case they, is they, that they, they win just impressively. Get, yeah, yeah. Worst case is that is that not necessarily that they get blown out. Which if this would be a product of them getting blown out. Worst case is that they show up and they just look flat. How about this? How about this for a best case worst worst case. Best case scenario is that obviously you know OU wins the game and they win it well, and it looks like maybe they've decided to make some philosophical adjustments in the bowl game. 
offensively. Defensively, maybe they manage the game better than they had in the previous 12. And there's like, oh, they can adjust. Whereas worst case scenario, we, we see the same type of game play out where maybe OU looks pretty good, but then they can't manage the game. And it looks like this coaching staff and these players haven't learned a darn thing in the last last month, if not the last 12 games before that. Yeah, that well, might me, be honestly uh, the worst case scenario. And then they lose the game again. Yeah, let me let, let me expand on the best case scenario, actually, because I, you know, more came to me. Obviously, you want to win the game. But what if they also win the game and DJ Graham emerges as a guy who God, could be a dude next year? Or Jacob Sextonley, who I don't know if you saw their depth chart for this game, is going to start at left tackle on Thursday. What if he has a really good game going against Jared Verse? What if Tyler Guyton looks really good on the right side? Who's going to start that game? Who's going to start this game as well? What if what if they get Javante Barnes loose a little bit and he has some explosive runs and they win this game? Gavin Sachuk, I want to see him. I want. How about what about Jaden Gibson or Nick Anderson? It'd be pretty sweet if if we saw them have a big. And also, I mean. Right, we want them to win, and it would be even better if it's guys who are going to be counted on next season to play a big role, stepping up and being the reason that they win. That would be the best-case scenario. Yeah, I think that's good. Before we go, should... I mean, we're going for 90 minutes. I, should we get into the... the <laughs> so I, I decided to do some research on the 2008 OU team which was one of the, you know, obviously like maybe the best OU team in the last generation, last, you know, two decades. Uh, my, that's the best OU team of all time, in my opinion. A, a lot of people are going to, <laughs> a, a lot of people will, will disagree with that, but best, I, I, I really do think the best OU team of all time and maybe, and maybe the best season for college football at the top of all time. So, yeah, I mean, that, that team was awesome. It was great. That was, heck, that was uh, 14 years ago now. So you made a comment off the air weeks ago, and you said, you said, you know what? Is it possible that OU's offense went three and out more in Bedlam this season? And you don't have to remind you all how that Bedlam game went, where OU's offense, after the first quarter, did absolutely nothing and just went three and out seemingly uh, continuously until the game ended. You were, you were wondering if OU went three and out more in just that one game then the entire 2008 Oklahoma offense went three and out in the entire season. <laughs> and so, of course, I, I thought, I, I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. But then I was like, well, how, is it that ridiculous? Well, it turns out it, it was kind of a ridiculous thought, but I went and did the numbers. I went and crunched the numbers. And so, <laughs> so OU against Oklahoma State this season, in that game, they went three and out nine times. And that was in and three quarters, by the way, not four full quarters. True. I, I don't remember if they went three and out at all in the first quarter. But th- did they? Did they score in every possession in the first? I think they scored in every possession in the first. They quarter. did. Yeah. Uh, the only yeah. no, they didn't actually. They got five possessions in the first quarter. They turned it over. Remember? Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Braden Willis. So yeah, you're right. So that was nine three and outs in just three quarters of that game. <laughs> and and so I went and did the math on OU in 2008. So it turns out OU went three and out. All of 2008 and all 13, was it four, no, 14 games, 33 times. So, I mean, all, like, maybe not quite one-third of the amount of times they went three and out in Bedlam, but, I mean, yeah. So, But the crazy stat, though, that will drive it home about how incredible that OU offense was in 2008, 
So again, uh, nine three and outs by the current OU offense in Bedlam of this year. The final six games of 2008, the final six, so like crunch time, OU went three and out a total of eight times in six games while the current OU team went three and out nine times in one game. That just shows you how, how dominant that OU offense was, and it's just such a travesty that they didn't win a national championship. They it <sighs> pick, picked the wrong year to be really good. Picked the wrong year. And the year before that, picked the wrong year to lose a Texas Tech on the road and for Sam Bradford to get a concussion. And Honestly, it was 33 three and outs for OU's offense that year, but you go back, and if you want to really dive into it, it was probably like as far as like important three and outs, it was less than that because heck, in the first three games of the year, Grant, when OU won going away over Chattanooga, Cincinnati, and Washington, in those first three games, they had seven total three and outs. They had three against Chattanooga, but they were all after halftime. And you remember that game? They were up fifty to nothing at halftime, and everybody was trying to get the heck out of there. Remember, like they they shortened, like the clock started running. There was like yeah, there was a rain delay. They would rained. Like so a I mean, thunderstorm. Like three, yeah, it's so like the three against Chattanooga were whatever. Didn't even matter. Uh, they had two against Cincinnati. Uh, one of them was in the fourth quarter when they were up by thirty two points, and they were just running the clock. So whatever. They had two against Washington, and one of them was late in the fourth quarter when they were up by forty one, trying to run the clock. So. I mean, right there, that's five of seven that really weren't even impactful. Uh, I mean, they had only three against Texas in the, the crazy shootout game. They had none against Baylor, which Baylor was bad that year. The worst game, Grant, was TCU. TCU, their defense could not uh, – Their TCU's defense stopped OU's running, uh, running game. OU could not run the ball against the Horned Frogs in game number four. They had seven, seven three and outs. So that was pretty a, impressive. I'm pretty sure that's the game where I think D.D. Westbrook may have broken it after the fact, or maybe someone. Did. Whoa, 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 whoa! Who? I'm just saying, like in that game, uh, Manuel Johnson had I think yeah, broke yeah, the said, OU single game record for receiving yards in that TCU game. Yeah, you said D.D. Westbrook for a second. I know, and I I was I was thinking in my head, I, I was about to say I'm pretty sure Manuel Johnson has the most receiving yards oh. in the game ever, and then before I stopped myself and said, oh, I think D.D. Westbrook may have broken it since then. Sorry, but, my mistake. All right. Yeah, but Manuel Johnson had like had like 250 yards and three three touchdowns in that game. <laughs> so I mean, okay, I just I put I didn't know. So actually, I I do want to do the math here. You know, now we got you guys here. So I think that was five three and outs uh, against Chattanooga, Cincinnati, and Washington that were all kind of like whatever. So that's five. So take you got, away. You do got to filter out garbage time here. It doesn't it, garbage time doesn't matter. Okay, so so take away five. So they're down to 28 total. Uh, TCU had seven. They were all sure. They were all legitimate. Fine. Uh, Texas, that was a close game. They were all legitimate. They had three. Kansas, two against Kansas, but the second one came in the fourth quarter when Oklahoma was up by 21 points. All right, whatever. Throw that one out. So now you're down to 27. They strangely had five three and outs against Kansas State in Manhattan. And I didn't do the math on those. I don't know if they were all legitimate or not, but they. Oh, you won that's that so game weird. That's, relatively um, comfortably. Which I'm pretty sure, which is so weird because, and this is going back at, until the 2017 game at home against West Virginia, you know, the one where, where Baker was suspended for the first uh, drive and 
uh, Orlando Brown brought out a Baker Mayfield jersey at the coin toss, which is still one of the funniest <laughs> things that's ever happened at OU. Oh, man. Um, I'm fairly certain until that game, into that West Virginia game, first half Kansas State in Manhattan that season was the best offensive first half OU had ever had from a yards per play perspective. Okay. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, a lot of those three and outs, I didn't make a note of it, but they must have came kind of later in the game when it was pretty one-sided. Nebraska, the game that you and I, unfortunately, had to miss, they had three against Nebraska, but the last two came in the fourth quarter when uh, Oklahoma was up 62-21 to after three. So that game was over. Uh, They had, so takeaway two, I think we're down to like 20, 25 maybe real like 25 that actually mattered uh they had one against a&m we were at that game they had one against texas tech in the infamous texas tech game uh it came in the third quarter when oklahoma was up 52 to (laughs) 7 so uh that one didn't matter and then this is the best this is the best one here the uh, against oklahoma state in bedlam and then against missouri in the big 12 title game against oklahoma state there was two and they both came in the first quarter but after those two, three and outs, Grant, OU scored on their last eight possessions of the game. <laughs> and then against Missouri, they had one. It was in the first quarter. And then after that three and out, OU went on to score on their last nine possessions of the game. <laughs> it's just like it's just insane. And and that's why, like, I remember distinctly going back to that time, I wanted them so badly. Play Florida, play Florida now. Play them, give them a week to give, play them as soon as possible. OU's offense was unstoppable. They were rolling. It was, uh, and then they had to wait. fun to watch. That is, uh, so I, I, the the reason why I say that that's the best OU team of all time is because that, that team won 12 games. They went 12 and two. All of those games that they won, Lee, those 12 games, they were freaking over after a quarter and a half. They smoked teams, just left no doubt. It's that's the that's the most dominant OU team I've ever seen. The way that they would just physically manhandle teams was so impressive, and uh, it's uh, I just say it's it's too bad that they had to you know play in the same year. Florida having their best team of all time, Texas having their best team of all time, uh, and USC under Pete Carroll, you know having probably their second or third best team under under Carroll. It's just really well, really bad timing. I'm sure Texas fans would take umbrage with that, though, considering they won a title with Vince Young. I said what I said. Okay. I mean, that was... Yeah. That's kind of an interesting uh, experiment, right? How, how does that Texas team in 2008, how do they fare against that 2005 USC team that Texas beat? Oh. How does 2008 Texas fare against 2005 USC? Yes. They beat them. Well, so did 2005 Texas. So. Yeah, I know. I How just, does but, 2008 Texas fare against 2005 Texas, huh? Let's go fire up uh, NCAA football. You, you, you know how I feel what would happen in that game? They'd both lose? No, Texas? I, think, I think 2008 Texas would win because, um, I don't know, I guess I, 2008 Texas had Earl Thomas, who was otherworldly in college. And not, not to say that 2005 Texas didn't have a really good defense. They did, obviously, and they had, they had Vince Young. Um, but Colt McCoy wasn't, wasn't no slouch either. Colt McCoy is one of the most uh, – he's, he's maybe the opposing player that I respected the most throughout like college football history. 
That guy was exceptionally good in college. Hey, he's still making a living, man. One of the better backup quarterbacks out there. Yeah, Colt McCoy's just got some he's got some crazy numbers for college. Yeah, his last year he wasn't, he wasn't that great in 09 whenever they uh went to the national title game, but uh at least touchdown interception ratio. But man, he was really good. He he completed 76% of his passes in 2008. <laughs> it's absurd. 76. All right, so I just wanted to bring up that random uh 2008 OU versus 2022 OU comparison because I found it to be somewhat interesting hopefully you all well that stayed around until the end of this podcast found it interesting as well there's plenty more to talk about i'm sure we haven't got to but uh we're going a little long so we'll have an entire off season to delve into whatever else comes up everyone enjoy the cheese it bowl it's a, a weird kickoff time 4 30 central i believe this thursday so hopefully you all are either gonna be able to take off work early or something or maybe take the whole day off i don't know uh, I was able to get the day off, so I'll be able to to watch the game and not miss a snap. Grant, are you going to be working that day? I am not. And if I am, I won't be, if that makes sense. It doesn't, but okay. We'll be back. Uh, let's let's try to let's I mean, we're going to probably we'll we'll try to record the post-game pod. I mean, if if it makes sense to do it Thursday evening if we're if we're both available, we'll try to do it then, but uh I I may have to work Friday, unfortunately, but we'll see. But we'll we'll get one out to you. It'll either be, heck, uh, we'll we'll try to either record Thursday night after the game, or I guess, I guess Friday. Evening, I mean, it'll it'll less, probably it'll it'll be Friday morning or Friday evening, probably. Well, I mean, I might that, I, that they I get might the have to podcast. Friday. That they get. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. All right. So uh, that about does it. So until next time, thanks for listening for Grant. I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.